You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Find Acts chapter 18. Are you ready to hear the Bible? Acts chapter 18 today. And then we're going to be having our Lord's Supper here in just a few moments. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to celebrate and to commemorate the Lord's death on the cross for this church. And we are so grateful that we get to share in the Lord's Supper together. A man was out shoveling snow, which we seem to be doing a lot more often this year. And he was out shoveling snow and he was about halfway down his driveway. And um, two boys in the neighborhood came by with shovels and they said, Hey, mister, we'll, we'll shovel your driveway for just 10 bucks. He said, can't you see I'm already doing it? And they said, yeah, that's why we asked. We get most of our business from people who are halfway done and about to quit. <laughs> Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's halfway through and he's about to quit. You say, Paul? Yeah. He's about to quit. I want you to see it in your Bible. I'm going to be speaking this morning on encouragement in tough times. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse number one. After these things, (laughs) let's just stop for just a second. Sometimes we can just read a few verses or for a few words and then we got to put some context. After these things. Okay, let's talk about these things. Paul has a vision of this man in Macedonia saying, come help us. So Paul goes to Macedonia looking to help this man. He gets to Philippi. There was not a man. He finds some women down by the river, preaches the gospel to them. Lydia gets saved, brings them to their home. Paul's preaching, gets arrested, gets beaten. Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. They're in chains in, in, in the dungeon in Philippi. Then the Philippian jailer comes in after the earthquake. What must I do to be saved? How do I surrender my soul to Jesus Christ? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So here's a few converts. And then, boy, the, the persecution was there. So Paul leaves Philippi. He runs down to Thessalonica. He gets to Thessalonica. He's only there for three weeks. God's doing a work in that little place. People are getting saved. But man, here comes the persecution. Persecution comes. He moves from there and goes down to Berea. He finds fruit, uh, fertile ground in Berea. And uh, he's giving the gospel in Berea. But sure enough, here comes the persecution and the tribulation. So Paul leaves to take the heat off the new believers. He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. Silas stays in Berea. Paul goes alone to Athens. He's now in this great capital of philosophy and, and, uh, and the center of culture, and he's in Athens alone, this godless yet God-filled city. And Paul is passionately burdened in his heart, 
And he begins to preach the gospel and telling people about the the Savior in the synagogue, in the marketplace, day after day. He's up against opposition. People are being saved. Paul then is taken up to the Areopagus where Paul begins to speak on Mars Hill about, about the unknown God. And he makes his case for Christ up on that hill. He challenges the philosophies. He challenges the idols. He challenges the culture. And, and how does that end? They interrupt him and they mock him. Some said, ah, oh, come back later. We'll talk about it again. And others clave to him and wanted to be saved. And Paul leaves Athens and now travels 48 miles across the isthmus that connects north and south Greece. That little peninsula, he crosses that into the city of Corinth. Now, I don't know how you would feel after these things, but that's the state in which Paul is. You know, we can read three little words very quickly, don't we? We start chapter 18. After these things, now think, after these things. You've been arrested, you've been beaten, you've been rejected. Everywhere you've gone, there's turmoil, there's hardship, you're alone, you're separated from people that you know, and you're now on your way to Corinth. So that's where we find Paul. Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was one of the same craft, he abode with them, and wrought by their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned Paul in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Father, be our teacher today, please. Help us to see from your word what we so desperately need in our hard times, the encouragement that you give to your people. And I pray that we would leave here today as encouraged as Paul was when you visited him in this place. God, help us today to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul is in Corinth. Uh, How many of you know some things about Corinth? All right, well, let me tell you some things about Corinth. Corinth was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, 200,000 people in the population. That was a massive city uh, in those days. And Paul is in this place, and it sits on that little peninsula that connects northern Greece with southern Greece in uh, modern day. It was uh, then in the province of Achaia. Corinth was 48 miles from Athens, and it was a very wealthy city, very wealthy city. 
And the reason for it is because of where it sat in the crossway and the crossroads of all culture and trade. Uh, if anyone was trading in those days, they were going to come at some point through Corinth. And I'll tell you why. First of all, it, was a, it had a great land bridge that connected those land masses, if you look up on a map. Not only that, the, the ocean uh, was, was cut off in that place, and so shipping would have to either, here's what they would do, they could either bring their ships up to that little isthmus, and they could unload the ship onto the backs of animals and slaves, and have them carry it three miles across the land bridge. And then take the boats on great rollers and roll them over that land bridge for three miles, then to reload the boat and continue on their journey. Or they were faced with a choice of sailing around for some 200 plus nautical miles and in really treacherous weather. If, if the weather came, it was very rocky shoals, it was, it was a dangerous shipping lane. So here's what mariners were faced with. Either we can unladen the ship and roll it across the land for three miles, or we can sail all the way around in dangerous waters for 200 miles, and so most of them did that. And plus, a benefit for all the mariners was that when they came on land, they could go to Corinth. And many of a ship would spend their fortunes in Corinth. It was a wealthy city. But it was also a city that was known for its vice and its debauchery. In Corinth, there was a hill. On top of that hill, there was a temple, a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual desires. And that temple employed a thousand temple slaves, men and women, priestesses and priests, who were nothing more than prostitutes. And at night, they would come out of the temple and spill into the streets of Corinth, and don't even try to imagine the things that they would do in order to earn money for the temple. That's how they, that's how they made their gain. It was a cesspool. Corinth became a byword in the Roman Empire. People all over the empire, if you saw somebody who was drunk or a lewd fornicator, you would call them a Corinthian. He acts the Corinthian because he's a lewd person. He's a debauched person. He's a Corinthian. It was just a common byword. In fact, there was a proverb in the Bible days, and that proverb uh, said something like this. They said, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. Not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. It was a man risking life and limb and sanity to go to that place. It was a very wicked place. You say, how wicked was it? Hold your finger for just a moment in Acts 18 and run back with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Put a marker in Acts because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians for just a second by way of introduction this morning. And I want you to see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is writing to them sometime later and he's telling the church of Corinth, which by the way was a church that was a mess. It was a mess. <laughs> it, had, it had all kinds of problems in this church. 
I mean, we're about to have the Lord's Supper. They would use the Lord's Supper as a party. They would get drunk. Paul had to write to them and tell them how to observe the Lord's table. It was a mess. There, was, there were things that were going on in this church that were not even named among the heathens. And yet, God was working in that church. Isn't that interesting? He didn't, he didn't endorse it. But God was wanting to get this church straight and right. It was just a very wicked place. Let me explain it to you. Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and watch what he wrote. Watch this very carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look down with me in verse number 9. He says, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that is uh, those who practice um, illicit sexual living, neither fornicators, nor idolaters. Nor adulterers, those who, fornicators are those who have sex outside of marriage. Adulterers are those who have sex with other people in marriage. Then he says, nor effeminate. That's the old English. Our word today would be homosexual. Uh, Then, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The word today would be a sodomite. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. No revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Paul's writing to this church that had all kinds of people in this church that used to be those kind of people, engaged in those kind of acts. He said, but ye are clean by the washing of the blood of Christ. But you are sanctified. You've been set apart as God's people. You've been justified, declared righteous by Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This was a wicked city. It was filled with every kind of imaginable perversion and debauchery. Paul was up against serious opposition in this city. And by the way, let me just remind you that anytime you choose to declare the gospel in a culture like that, you're going to be up for opposition. I meet a lot of Christians who are like, you know, preacher, it just seems like I've never really been in a fight with the devil. I'm like, well, turn around and start going the other way. Right now, you're in collusion with him. You turn around, you'll be in collision with him. Paul was in collision with him. The whole Macedonian journey had been a collision with the devil. He had been beaten in his body. He had been pounded in his emotions and mind and his soul. He had been literally taxed in his spirit. Paul was discouraged. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and now Corinth, Paul was literally depleted. You say, how do you know that? You're in 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Just flip back a page or so, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse 1. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, we're reading about that in Acts 18, came not with excellency of speech or of, of wisdom, 
declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Listen, let me tell you what Paul did not do when he came to Corinth. Paul did not bring his seminary training with him. Paul didn't talk in big swelling words. He wasn't looking for deeper worship experiences. He wasn't trying to engage men intellectually, theologically. He wasn't bring, Paul wasn't breaking out his systematic theology books. Paul said, I came there, not in excellency speech. I dumbed it down. I was talking to you like a kindergartner. Let me just, by the way, let me just say this to you. It would be really good for some of us to forget some things we learned. And stop trying to impress each other of how good of a Christian we are and start realizing there are people living among us who've never heard of Jesus. Paul said, I didn't want to make anything known to you. Watch this, verse number, verse number two. I was determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you know that our, our culture, listen to me, church, our culture doesn't need to know about our, our, all of our theological arguments of what's wrong with the world. Do you know what's wrong with the world? Do you know why? Do you know why the world is given over to fornication and adultery and homosexuality and why it's given over to uh, uh, all this idolatry and theft and violence and wickedness? Do you know why the world's in the state it is? It doesn't know Jesus. And Paul could have come in and tried to clean Corinth up. But he just said, you know what, I'm not going to try to clean you up. I'm going to try to clean you out. I'm going to bring Jesus in here and tell you about Jesus, and he'll fix the whole thing. He knows how to do it. I was talking with somebody a while back, and somebody said to me, somebody said to me on a phone conversation, said, Pastor, um, you know, things in my life are not right right now, and I was talking to a pastor, and this pastor said, if I got these things in order in my life, then I could get saved and baptized. I'm like, well, no offense, and maybe you misunderstood, so I'm not criticizing the man because maybe you misunderstood the man, but let me just tell you something. You don't clean up to get in the shower. Hey, ladies, can I just give you a little hint from all the men in this room? If you're going to have somebody come and clean your house, don't clean your house. We have to have a day of cleaning before the maid. Now, we don't because we have a maid. You're looking at him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My wife, is, my wife is a great housekeeper, and we've hired Juju, so. But can I tell you, I've, I've had people, you know, you, you don't clean up to get, I remember years ago during the hippie movement, I remember churches, people would get saved, a man would walk the aisle, get saved, he had long hair, and then we'd tell him, okay, you got to cut your hair before you get baptized. Because somewhere in the Bible, the first step of obedience was a haircut. The first of obedience is getting baptized. I mean, listen, Jesus didn't look at the woman at the well and say, okay, listen, go move out from the guy you're living with. Let's try to rectify those last five divorces that you had, and then you can get saved and then baptized. (laughs) He just said, listen, lady, you know why you're doing all these things? You're drinking at the wrong well. I've got water that you need. You drink from this well. You'll never thirst again, and we'll get all of that other stuff fixed. Jesus fixes it all. And so Paul said, I didn't come in here to clean up Corinth. I came in here to convert Corinth to Christ. And then notice what he said, but watch this. Watch this. Pastor, how do you know Paul was so discouraged? Look at verse 3. He's talking about when he first came to me. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Weakness. Asthenia. 
in the Greek, it means I lacked capacity. Paul's speaking, when he says of weakness, he's talking about in his spirit, he lacked the capacity in his spirit to do the job. He was spiritually depleted. And then he said, in fear, he's speaking of his soul. Fear is the word phobos, where we get our word phobia. He was in terror. Paul would wake up with great anxiety. He was fearful. He was phobia. He had terror. You said, Paul, yes. Paul wrote about it later. He said, in fears often. Without, we're fighting. Within, we're fears. Paul, within his mind, was fearful of the world. He was by himself in this place. Full of thieves and wickedness and sin all around him. And Paul was fearful. And then he said, in trembling, he's speaking of his body. That word for trembling, tromos. It is anxiety caused by distrusting your ability to meet the needs required. Well, Paul Paul lacked physical strength and he knew it and it gave him great anxiety. He trembled in his body because he knew that there was a great gap between his ability and the demands on him. Can I tell you what stress is? Stress is the gap between your ability and your duties, and it's the gap between them of what you really have and what's really on you. And Paul was in that state. And let me just say today, very, very quickly, this, I'm not going to get into all the politics and all the news, but I want to tell you. Church, I think you need to be aware of this, but we live in a world, this is, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. This is not, this is not a, a, a capitalist versus socialist or a Democrat versus Republican. What we're living in a world today where there is a great conspirator, and his name is Satan. He is the dark power behind the thrones. Spiritual wickedness in high places. And I want to tell you what he's doing upon the world. He is a fear monger. Satan is a fear monger, and he is going to keep throwing things at us. And I really believe with all my heart, one of the great designed plans of world powers today, especially in the minds of the American people, is to keep throwing stuff at us constantly that we cannot emotionally withstand, that we cannot absorb emotionally, mentally, physically. I'm talking about we got balloons flying over us and nations spying on us, and we've got other diseases and pandemics and economic problems, and we can't get a vote straight, and all the climate is changing, and we can't, we can't cooperate with anybody on how we're going to get our energy? Is it going to be oil or is it going to be green? Which green is not green. And it's going to all this stuff. And let me tell you what it is, is it's just saying to you as an American people and you as a society, you're powerless to what we're doing. And some of us are so anxious about that. We're so anxious because we can't do anything about it. Oh, we can turn on the radio and all the talk shows talk about, and we're like, yeah, I agree with that guy. Man, he shares my views. That's what should be done. And then we turn the radio off and what gets done? Nada. Then we sit up at night and we watch whatever your flavor is and whoever your talking heads are, and they talk. And every single program is the exact same news recycled through different personalities that appeal to you. So one of those, you'll, whether it's Tucker or whether it's, whether it's uh, uh, Keith Oberman, 
Lord have mercy. But then you find somebody, and it better not be the view. Listen, if it's the view, you need to be saved today. There's no Holy Spirit in that whatsoever. And we talk about all the problems and the troubles and the difficulties of life. We talk about all of that. And then at the end of the day, we shut it all off and nothing is done. And all we've done is we've, we've looked at all of our problems and then we sit back and we look at all of our lack of ability. And you know what that gap between that is? Anxiety, fear, worry, weakness. Paul was in that same boat. So here's how God encouraged him. Here's the message. Number one, God gave him new friends. I found a certain Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. You say, now who are these people? I, I, I call them and have for years. I have called Aquila and Priscilla the cute couple. They're just a cute couple. You say, how do you know that? Their names rhyme. I mean, they're just this cute couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and they're tent makers. They work together. They're always together. Aquila, Priscilla. They're so cute. You never see them alone. They're always together, always in the Bible. Sometimes Aquila and Priscilla, sometimes Priscilla and Aquila. They're always together. They're just this cute little couple. We got some cute couples in this church, too. And they're just, they're just cute couple. And they just work together, they're together, and, and Paul finds this couple, and who are they? They're Jewish people who used to live in Rome, but Claudius in Rome kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Now, why did he do that? Well, history bears witness to this. What happened in Rome was, in history, there was a guy that Rome blamed, his name was Christus who caused riots and uprising among the Jewish settlements in Rome. And the fighting became so often and so riotous that Claudius is like, I'm done with it. All the Jews, out. You're interrupting the peace of Rome. Get out. And so they all threw out all the Jews because of a guy named Christus. Now, history cannot tell you who Christus is. There's no record of a guy named Christus who was an insurrectionist, an upriser, a rebel rouser. There's nothing in Jewish history, nothing in Roman history, nothing that you can find. Scholars believe, and I happen to believe, that the Christus that was blamed for this is Christ. And I believe what happened is there were some people who came back to Rome, Jews who came to Rome that were saved. You say, how did they become Christian Jews in Rome? Anybody remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? Pentecost. And Pentecost tells us that there were Jews that, from Rome that came and got saved. And they took the gospel back to Rome. And they started telling everybody about Jesus Christ. Christus has died and buried and rose again and you can be saved. He's the Messiah. He's come. He's the anointed. He's the Christ. He's Christus. And boy, that caused some problems in the Jewish community in Rome to the place where there were so many riots and people being converted. They're like, everybody out. So they did. They all left. So here they are. They're in Corinth. 
They're in Corinth because their trade is tent making. And really what that is is leather working. They made tents out of animal skins and goat skins. And they were able to do things that would be helpful for trade. And man, that was a great trade. And Paul happened to have the same trade. Why did Paul have a trade of tent making? Well, because there was a Jewish statement, a Jewish saying, especially among rabbis, that if your child was going to be a rabbi, but it was kind of universal with all Jewish boys, the saying was this, he who teaches not his son to work teaches him to steal. By the way, we need to hear that today. Paul had a great work ethic. Paul knew how to work, and Paul taught that. Remember remember when Paul said, he that will not work should not eat? Remember that? Paul had a great work ethic. He said, work, work, occupy, work, labor. And so, so Paul had this work ethic. And so, if you know anything about the old Jewish synagogues, when you came into a synagogue, women sat on one side, men sat on the other side. And one of the other things that was common in Jewish synagogues is that people sat based kind of on perfection, a profession. So, so um, bricklayers would, would kind of get together over here, stone workers would get here, and leather workers would get here. And so, Paul, when he came in, probably just found his way over, and he sat down, and there's another tent maker there, and he said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm, I, my name is Paul. You're Paul? My, my name's Aquila. That's my cute wife, Priscilla. <laughs> We're tent makers. Paul said, yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So are we. And boy, God gave him some new friends. No, notice what the Bible said here. The Bible says, In verse number one, at the end there it says, and he came unto them. Paul abode with them. He he just moved right along with them, and he came to them, came alongside of them, and Paul, I think, moved into their house and worked with them. Can I tell you that what Aquila and Priscilla became to the apostle Paul was invaluable? They were not preachers. They were tent makers. But Paul said, hey, I need some help in Ephesus. And they said, we'll go. They bought a house in Ephesus. They let the church start in their home. Later we find out that um, they actually risked their necks for the Apostle Paul. Can I tell you? Listen to me, if you're discouraged, listen, if you're discouraged today, one of God's great encouragements for you are new friends, godly friends, friends that will bring you in and work with you. And I want to tell you something, I want to tell you something today. Some of you, we just get in habits in our society. We we don't know our neighbors. We, We have a society, we are so connected and yet disconnected at the same time. We have never been more antisocial in a world of social engagement. People come to church, we get here late, we're the first ones to leave, and then we talk about how unfriendly the church is. If you're going to make friends, stick around. Get here a little early, stay a little late, get an adult Bible fellowship, come to a men's prayer breakfast, come to a ladies' fellowship, go to a widow's function, get involved in something that's going on in the church, come to the missions conference, find out where the where a Bible study's going on. Let's get involved with people in this church, and, and by the way, front range, let's make sure that we're the Aquilas and Priscillas looking for those who are coming in among us, that we can find them. Don't let anybody ever sit in church alone. Look for new people and meet them. Get off your religious high horse and say, well, instead of sitting down and critiquing everything that's going wrong with the service, start looking for people that you can encourage. 
As long as I'm pastor, there's always going to be something going wrong in the service. I can just tell you. <laughs> pastor Brent was the first one to say amen over there. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, listen to me. Listen to me. The church is a fellowship of believers. One of the things that we do when we get discouraged is we withdraw. These guys engaged. God gave Paul new friends. Let me say number two. God gave Paul devoted believers. Look at verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. That was urged. Paul was constrained in his spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Let me tell you what happened. Paul gave, Paul was given by God devoted believers, devoted believers. What are you talking about? Listen to me. Here's Paul. He's discouraged. So, you know what Paul's doing? Monday through Friday, Paul is working on leather goods, making tents. He's working on putting things together, selling things in the market. Paul's paying his way for ministry. On the Sabbath days, he's going in, he's teaching in the synagogue, reasoning with them, explaining the scriptures and all of that. But he's just really kind of recovering. He's recouping. He's enjoying fellowship with Priscilla and Quilla as they're making tents. And he's being refreshed in his spirit by his new friends. But then here comes some guys. Five months ago, Paul left Timothy in Thessalonica. He left Silas in Berea. And here they come. You read 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. When when Timotheus came and began to share with Paul what was going on in Thessalonica and how this church was thriving and many were being saved. And there there was amazing things happening. And all over Macedonia, their testimony was being spread about. And the church at Thessalonica was growing by leaps and bounds. They were an ideal church. They were glorifying God, winning others to Christ, encouraging the believers. They were having prayer meetings and soul winning. And they were just, and Timothy came and said, Paul, you're not going to believe what God's doing. You were only there for three weeks. Man, God has started a work there. And oh, listen, and then Silas said, you're not going to believe what's going on in Berea. Man, the word of God is going from Berea. Those people are so noble. They're searching the scriptures. They're preaching the scriptures. People are getting saved. And when they came, Paul was urged in his spirit to go preach Jesus. You know what we need? We need some people who get so on fire for the Lord that that fire spreads to other people. That it's just contagious. That it just encourages them. We need some friendships that will recoup us and help us and refresh us. But we need some other devoted believers that will provoke us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, the Bible says, let us consider one another. Provoking one another unto love and unto good works. That's exactly what Timothy and Silas did for Paul. And boy, iron sharpens iron. And Paul got after it. Let me show you how pressed Paul was in his spirit. We got to hurry. So he goes into the synagogue. He's been going every Sabbath, reasoning. But let me tell you what he does on this Sabbath day, because he's pressed. He's encouraged. Verse number six, and when they oppose themselves, I mean, they, they, he's got them all crossed up in the, in, the, in the Old Testament law. I mean, they're just like, they're opposing themselves. They're, they're so against Christ that they're actually against themselves. They can't get out of their own way with their argument. When they oppose themselves and blasphemed, now they start speaking against Jesus. They're blaspheming. Paul shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. So let me tell you, they'd never had a Sabbath day like that. 
They start confused. Paul's trying to show them about in the law about Christ and who Christ is and how he's the promised Messiah. He's the seed of the woman. He is, he is Isaiah's, he is Isaiah's a, a man who's going to be the root out of dry ground, who is going to come and bear our transgressions, and by his stripes we're healed. He's preaching Christ to the Old Testament. He is Melchizedek. He is the high priest. He is the law. He is holiness. He is the Savior. And they're like, no, and they begin to blaspheme Christ. Paul gets up and he... Your blood be on your heads. I'm clean. I'm going to the Gentiles. Boy, that shook the place. You say, why did Paul do that? Well, Paul had been taught that you shake the dust off of your feet and of any city that rejects Christ. I'm not carrying one speck of dust from this synagogue with me. I'm taking all this blasphemy off of me because I'm clean of this. And the blood be on your own heads. Listen, this is a reference to, in the Jewish culture, the watchman at the wall. If the enemy was coming and the watchman didn't warn and people died, their blood was at his hands. But if people were warned and didn't do anything, our blood is on our head. We bear our own guilt. That's why at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when Pilate said, I find no fault in him, the Jewish people said, his blood be upon our heads and our children. So Paul reminded them, that, okay, that blood be on your heads then, fine. Boy, he was pressed. Why? Because some devoted believers came in and encouraged him. But then thirdly, how did Paul get encouraged? By new friends, by devoted believers, and then thirdly and lastly, by the Lord himself. Listen, here's what happened. I got I to hustle, but watch this. Paul leaves the synagogue... And there's a house right next door that's built right up against the synagogue. And a guy named Justice lives there. He actually had three names. We'll, we'll learn of him later as Gaius. But he brings Paul into his house. Said, Paul, start a ministry here. They can hear you through the wall. <laughs> Say, how do you know they can hear you through the wall? Well, look at it. It was joined right to the synagogue in verse 7. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord and his family. So Paul's preaching in Justice's house about Jesus right next door to the synagogue. You talk about a split, man. I'm leaving here and I'm going right across the wall. And he's preaching so much that Crispus, the guy who runs the synagogue, he got saved. Became a believer. And boy, then did the opposition start. And I believe with all my heart that between verse 8, because of because of Crispus being saved and many of the Corinthians hearing and believing and because of what was going on, the opposition got so severe that Paul was in great distress and the Lord showed up. And can I tell you, believer, he always does. Then the Lord spoke to him in the night and here's what he said very quickly. First of all, he came and spoke his peace. Paul, be not afraid. Hey, listen to me, church. He didn't talk anything about his circumstances. Your circumstances don't dictate your peace. The peace of God is in spite of circumstances. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but let me tell you what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Let me tell you what he said to Abraham, fear not. Let me tell you what he said to Isaac, fear not. Let me tell you what he said to Jacob, fear not. Let me tell you what he said to Jehoshaphat before he was going into war, fear not. Let me tell you what he said to Mary before she had this child, fear not, Mary. Let me tell you what he said to Peter, fear not, Peter. Let me tell you what he said to Paul, fear not, Paul. Let me tell you what he's saying to you, fear not, church. 
quit being afraid of what's going on in this world. I am not intimidated by what's going on in this world. Why? I know him whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed against that day. Peace, peace, he said, I fear not. And then he told him this. He said, fear not, but speak up. In fact, he emphasized that. He said, speak. Don't be afraid. Speak. And he said, and hold not thy peace. You know what he said to him? He said, you speak and don't you dare be quiet. And I want to tell you to this day, church, this is a day where the church doesn't need to be sitting in the corner stuttering and biting our tongue for fear of offending. We don't need to be a bunch of rebel rousers running out and causing, but this, let me tell you something what the world needs. The world needs a church that knows how to speak about Jesus. You need to pray that God will help you speak up for Christ. God, open my mouth. Give me opportunities. God, help me to speak for you. That I would proclaim the name of the Lord. He commanded him. And then he stood with him. Look what he said. He said, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be quiet. Speak up. For I am with thee. I am with thee. Nothing can cheer like the presence of Christ. He was with him. And then let me tell you what the Lord said, and we'll talk about this later, but he said, for I have much people in this city. Now, these people had not been saved yet, but they were going to be saved. And this is, a, this is a, an issue of God's foreknowledge. But let me tell you what he was saying to Paul. Paul, I know there's a whole bunch of people going to get saved in this city. But they're not going to just get saved because of election. And they're not going to just get saved because it just happens. They're going to get saved because I, in my sovereignty and in my providence, have designed for a preacher to preach and people to hear and people to respond. Let me tell you something, church. Do not buy into this idea that wants to sell the election for salvation, that whatever will be, will be, and that we can be the silent minority, and we can sit on our hands, and we can gather in churches, and we can talk about liturgy and worship and music and styles, and we can debate everything under the sun while the world around us goes to hell, because we're the frozen chosen. God pity the man whose head is full of theology, and his heart has no burden for souls. God pity that man who has a seminary degree and has no burden for lost souls. That man's not a follower of Jesus. He in no way, shape, or form is a follower of Christ. Because Christ said to every one of his servants, go and speak and do not hold your peace. I'm going with you. In other words, he said it this way to his other disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Lo, I am with you always. He said it this way in the book of Mark, go and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And then he said this, and they went everywhere preaching the Lord working with them. Let me tell you, you you want to get into a divine providence and partnership with Jesus, start sharing the gospel. You're going to find his power. You're going to find his presence. You're going to find that authority as you share the glorious gospel. Listen, we don't need to wrestle with all the issues. We just need to bring people to Jesus. Let's open our mouths about the gospel. I mean, don't you think people who've been hearing bad news all week about the price of eggs, the death of chickens, balloons flying overhead, don't you think for someone to walk in and say, hey, can I share some good news with you? Don't you think they would go, yes? 
Our mayor did. I get to share the gospel. I've got to share the gospel this week. The man I sat with on the plane, he wanted to hear the gospel. I said, can I share some good news with you? He said, what's that? I said, if we don't get to our destination, I can tell you how we can get to our final. He said, what do you know that I don't know? And I said, it's who I know that you don't know. I said, but I'm presuming you don't know him, but let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. You know what? Let me tell you something I found out. He was a Christian. But tears in his eyes, he said to me, he said, today has encouraged me to open the conversation about the gospel with others. You've encouraged me today. Now, I, now listen, I'm not, I'm not the hero of my story. What I'm saying is, is listen to me. <laughs> the Lord said this. The Lord was saying this. Paul, I know what's coming if you keep going. That faithfulness will result in fruitfulness. That there are people that will be saved if we will be faithful to tell. Hey, you want some encouragement in tough times? Find some new friends in the Lord. Get around people who are doing the work, devoted believers. Get around them and let that heat warm your heart. And then get alone with Jesus and hear him and obey him. And you're going to be so overjoyed to walk in the presence of Christ. Father, I pray today that you'll encourage our church. These are days where everything in this world is designed to overwhelm. And Lord, those of us who are in awe of you are overwhelmed by nothing here. Those of us that fear you fear nothing else. So may we walk in the fear of God. May we be obedient to the Lord. May we find encouragement in these days. Our heads about our eyes are closed for just a moment. We're about to take the Lord's Supper, and it only takes a few minutes to do that. So I don't want you worried or rushed. We rush too much in our world, don't we? But I want you to take just a moment right now and say, do I know Jesus as a personal Savior? Do I know Him as Lord and Savior? How many of you with honest heart before, Lord, before the Lord could say, Pastor, I know that there's been a time in my life when I have been born again and I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that for sure. Slip your hand way up high, would you please? Man, praise the Lord for that. Hey, those of you who just raised your hand, would you just say in your own heart right now, Lord, thank you for saving me. Just thank him for that a moment. Now let me talk to those of you who couldn't raise your hand or shouldn't have raised your hand. How many of you would say, Pastor Miller, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that Christ is my Savior. I can't tell you for sure that I've been born again, but I'd like to be. Would you slip your hand way up high? I'm not going to walk back to you. I want to pray for you. I want to tell you what you need to do today. Let me tell you what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you really four things. Number one, I'm going to show you how you can have every sin forgiven. I'm going to tell you how you can have a new birth and become a child of God. I'm going to show you how you can be now filled with the Spirit of God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, can live in you. And then I'm going to show you how you can go to live with Him forever. How many of you would say, Pastor Miller, I don't know that, but I want to know that. Would you slip your hand way up high? I don't know that, but I want to. God bless you. In just a moment, I'm going to have our folks pray as preparation for the Lord's table. And as they do, would you leave your seat right now, if you don't know Christ as Savior, and just walk right to the back. We have men and ladies right back there 
that'll take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. You'll never regret taking a step of faith. If you take one step of faith, the Lord will meet you there. I promise you on the authority of the word of God, he'll meet you there. If you don't know Christ today, you come to him. Lord, I pray, I pray for every soul in this room that does not know Jesus, that right now they would come to you the best way they know how, by faith, receiving you as Savior, calling on your name, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the means for their salvation, that they would know you as a personal Savior. And then I pray that your people, Lord, right now would examine their own hearts as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, that we would be clean, be worthy. I pray that we would be ready to think upon what you've done for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. For just a moment, we're gonna stand quietly just to give a a moment for people to move. There are some who've raised their hand. So would you stand quietly around this place? I'm gonna ask Melissa to play. We're gonna start the Lord's Supper in just a moment. I'm gonna ask the deacons to make ready. But here's what I want you to do, church, just for a moment. If you're not saved, I want you to slip out right now. People are standing so you can get out. Slip out, walk right to the back. Let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Number two, if you are saved, would you do this right now? Would you start praying and say, Lord, prepare my heart for the Lord's table. Search me, O God. Is there anything in my heart and life that's unworthy of what you've died for? And then confess that. Let this be a time of cleansing, a time of forgiveness, a time of renewal as a believer. You pray. Father, we thank you today for hearing prayer. We thank you for those who have responded to your Holy Spirit by faith and received Christ. I pray that they would not be ashamed of you and would make that public. Let others know that they've trusted Christ, that they would follow you. Lord, I pray for your church today that we would be reminded of the price that you've paid for us to have life and liberty in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we we would be reminded of the price you were willing to pay for us. We would be humbled by it, cleansed by it. And then, Lord, that we would be motivated to go tell the world the price has been paid. Speak to every heart today in Jesus' name. Amen.